And uh, my name is Jeff Avesto. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, since COVID, it's been a while since I've been back. So in some of the ways, I felt like a, like a guest speaker coming in, driving in. And I got to tell you, I was real nervous too, waking up because uh, we're in the middle of the night, just because it's been so long. So it's so good to be so good to be here. I'm sure a lot of us have experienced uh, similar things just with COVID and just the oddities of that that has kind of uh, uh, happened. But uh, uh, once again, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jeff Avesto. And uh, just great, just great to be here. So we're going to continue our message in First John, or our series in First John. We had taken a break during the Christmas time, and uh, we're going to get back into it. And so the uh, passage is kind of long, so I'm going to go ahead and start by reading the passage, and then we're going to dive into it afterwards. So it's, it's uh, 1 John chapter 4, beginning of verse 7. So once more, 1 John chapter 4, beginning of verse 7. We're going to go through chapter 5, verse 4 in that. And then um, just kind of keep your Bibles open. We're going to be kind of uh, looking at this, uh, you know, obviously throughout the uh, morning here. Um, and sometimes we're going to have slides, sometimes we're not, but just kind of keep it open. So let me go ahead and begin reading. First John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who did not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Let me pray real quick. Father God, we come before you now, Lord, and we have read your word. And we ask that your spirit, Lord, will enlighten us. Lord, that your spirit will give us understanding and hearts that love you, 
hearts that abide in you, Lord. Be with us this morning. Let us understand your word, Lord, so that we might know you better. In your name we pray. Amen. So, back in 1984, there was a, uh, a singer named Tina Turner. And she wrote a song called, What's Love Got to Do With It? It became a Billboard Hot 100 number one single. It was the second biggest song in the United States that year. And that song received three Grammy Awards. Song of the Year, Record of the Year, and Best Female Pop Performance. And listen to the words of the chorus. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> and you can all say thank you now. <laughs> but here we go. Here's the words of the chorus. Uh-oh, what's love got to do, got to do with it? What's love but a secondhand emotion? What's love got to do, got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? Why do I bring up a song that's almost 40 years old? Is it because I'm old and I don't know any of the current songs? <laughs> I'll be honest with you, that's probably the biggest point. Had I known of a more current song, I would have used that. But some of these people are still with me. Um, but that's not it. That's not the only reason. The reason is this became the number one hit. Or uh, what was it? A Billboard, Billboard Hot number 100, number one. Second biggest song. Three Grammys for this. Why? Because it resonates. Because people do that and they say, yeah, what's love? It's a secondhand emotion. Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? And there's this thing that connects us to that. And so even though the song is 40 years old, we don't change as people, right? And so we still have this. Um, and so, um, it's the culture's belief in some ways that this love is a second-hand emotion. Um, but if love is just a second-hand emotion, why is it in so many of our songs and in so many of our movies? We see love in almost all of the movies that we watch, don't we? And it's either about love or there's some love story that's the side plot that's going on in the background along with the other plot that keeps going. One of my favorite things to do on a cold, wet Saturday is to, uh, you know, when it's like too bad to do anything outside and you're too tired to do anything inside. One of my favorite things is to do is to sit down and to watch a sci-fi movie. And the sci-fi movie doesn't have to be good. In fact, the cheesier it is, <laughs> the more I seem to like it. And some of the best days are when Mickey sits with me on the couch and watches the movie. She's usually doing something else at the time, right? But she's, granted, she's there, and we're watching um, together. But you can watch the beginning of the movie, and right away, you know who the two people are going to be, who are going to make it to the end of these cheesy movies. Um, it's the two that are in love. It's the two that have this pure love. There's the one that you're going to see at the end of the movie. Or, if they don't make it out, and if the what's going to happen then is like the monster is going to eat them both at the same time so that they don't have, so they don't have to spend a single minute without each other because it's pure love. And so we watch these movies and we always give them a name. And the name always ends in love story, right? So it'll be like the night of the attack of the giant iguana, a love story. <laughs> because they all have this love story that goes in there. But even if you take out the romantic love stories, Right? Think about these other things that go on in the movies that you watch. There's this sacrificial love where people give up things, where people lay down their lives, where people do these things. Think about the movie White Christmas. And think about all that they did for the general. Right? It was the two main guys who were in his platoon. But the entire platoon gets together and celebrates this retired general. Why? They did it out of love for him. 
Think about any of these war movies, these war movies where these people sacrifice. It's about this love for others. Why else would somebody risk losing their limbs or their life to save someone else if it's not for love, right? You don't get that from a vague sense of right or wrong. You don't get this from a vague sense of duty. This comes from love. And so this morning, I want to kind of look at this and I want to ask the question, what does love have to do with it? And I submit to you that love has everything to do with it. Because love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And so we want to break this up this morning. The, John went through and um, did all this stuff. And John was the author of the book, obviously. But he wants us to understand a couple concepts as we go through there. The concept of love, we're going to see this over and over. And the concept of abide, we see this over and over. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at what does it mean, this love, and what does it mean, this abiding. But John not only wants us to understand the, of the concept, but he really wants us to um, absolutely be sure that we know this. And it's not just this concept, but it's this um, um, confidence that we have, that we are children of God. This confidence that we love God. This confidence that God loves us. So two different times he says, by this we know. So we're going to look at love, we're going to look at abide, then we're going to look at the two, to the by we may know this, um, by, let me say this again, by this we may know. So we're going to look at those two statements. Finally, we're going to wrap up with uh, what are the results of this love? What happens to this? So, first of all, God's love. First uh, John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 start this way. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. I've got a couple of quotes that I want to read to you from a guy named David Jackman. He wrote this uh, uh, book called The Message of John's Letters, Living in, in the Love of God. And uh, I was actually having a conversation with... Uh, um, a couple of people this morning, and I was saying, you know, it's funny, because when I come up to these quotes, and I'm reading this book, right, lots of times it's a commentary, and you're reading it in context, it's like, wow, this quote is absolutely fantastic. And then I put it in there, and I wonder, if it's, is it clunky, or is it not clunky, because it's taken, you know, out of a, out of a chapter. But this morning, I'm going to go for perhaps clunkiness, but there's four quotes by David Jackman that I think are so good that just really kind of nail uh, the essence of this. So here's the first one. He says this, so the last three words of verse number eight form one of the most profound statements of the whole Bible. And perhaps for many people today, one of the hardest to believe, that is, God is love. John is not identifying a quality which God possesses, but he is making a statement about the essence of God's being. It's not simply that God loves us, but that he is love. Therefore, to imagine that God doesn't love us is to deny his true nature. It's to repudiate his character. It is to distort the free grace of God into something much less worried, into a conditional love that depends on attractiveness or worthiness or the object for it is to be exercised. Divine love is utterly different. It cannot be earned. It cannot be deserved. God loves us because this is his nature. God is love. It is who he is. It is his very nature. And you cannot separate God from his love. To deny that, to deny that God is a loving God is to deny 
God. To deny that God is a loving God is to deny God. In chapter 3 of 1 John, we've looked at this before, John tries to get us to understand what is this love of God. And he does this by looking at Jesus. And he says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. The love of God is thrown through Jesus Christ. The love is shown through his willingness to lay down his life for us, to sacrifice himself for us. And he did this because he loves you. And this is why so many of those movies that you watch, so many of these books that you watch, when they have the sacrificial um, love in it, why they ring true, it's because they are echoes of what Jesus Christ did for you. So, John in chapter 3 says, this is what love looks like. And I'm going to show you through the Son. In chapter 4, he says, this is what love looks like. And I'm going to show it to you through the Father. And so in chapter, I'm sorry, verse 9 and 10, it says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among you. That God sent his, own, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. David Jackman once more says this about this passage. It's not simply that God loves, but that he is love. We are helped to understand this and remember that God is revealed in the scriptures as the Holy Trinity, three persons and one God. And we shall never be able to comprehend the full meaning of this with our finite minds. But at least, at least we can grasp that at the heart of the deity, there's a dynamic interrelationship of love. Love flows between the three persons in constant interaction so that every activity expresses the love which is the divine nature. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, the Spirit loves the Son, and so on. This is not just a static description, but it's a living, active dynamism. God loves within his own being because his nature is to love. So think about that, and think about the Trinity. Think about the love that takes place in the Trinity. And we have the Father. And we have the Son. And the Father sends the Son to suffer. The Father sends his Son to die for you. God sent his only Son into the world knowing, knowing what would happen. Knowing what Jesus would go through. Knowing how much pain and how much sorrow he would have. And God sent his only son to die in the world so that he might pay for your sins, so that you might live through him. This is the love of God. And this is the love that he has for you. This is love, not that you have loved, but that God loves you because God is love. So next I want to take a couple of minutes and we want to look at um, loving others in that same way. Because John tells us that we are to love others in the same way that God has loved us. And he makes these statements. And think of these statements like a coin. So on one side you've got the heads. He's going to say all of these kind of positive statements. And on the back is the tail and he's going to make these negative statements. So listen to these. Let's look at the head side first. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. <laughs> All of these are just in the passages that we read this morning. Isn't that amazing? John wants us to understand this concept. And now, look at the tail side of that. 
He says this, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. See, he directly ties our love for God into our love for others. And listen to his logic. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And so he ties these things together. And this tying together is also seen so great in the church. Um, because the church is his body. It's the body of Christ on earth. And so we must reflect his character. We must reflect the character of God. Jesus said, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, love is the hallmark. Love is the family characteristic of the church. And people on the outside see this. And they see our love, and they see our fellowship, and it should change them, and it should move them. Jesus said they're going to know, they're going to know just by seeing your love. So, we are called to love others in the same way that God has loved us. We are called to love others in the same way that Christ has loved us. And this is what John is trying to tell us. These things are tied we love God and we love others. So we want to take now a couple of minutes and we want to look at these by this we know statements. So there's two of these by this we know statements. So in the early days of radio in Britain, George Bernard Shaw was giving a talk about the peculiarities of the English language, how strange it was, just these little things going back and forth. And he mentioned in this that there's only two words, there's only two words in the English language that begin with the sound SH, so the SH sound, but are not spelt SH. He didn't tell what they were. So he gets this postcard from this listener. And this listener says, I'm pretty sure you're wrong about that. There's only one word, and that's sugar. So George Marchard wrote her back, wrote a postcard, put four words on it, one simple sentence. He said, Madam, are you sure? For those English majors, sure is S-U-R-E, not S-H-U-R-E. So is he sure, right? Um, John wants us to be sure. John wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. He says, by this you know. So um, he wants to understand that God loves us and that we are to love others. But just that knowledge, just simple knowledge isn't enough because he wants us to have confidence he wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our Christian experience is real. He wants us to know for sure. And so he gives us this measuring stick. He gives us two of them. Um, and this first one that we're going to look at is how we know that we love the children of God. Because he says, we know that we love the children of God, or this is the measuring stick, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we obey his commandments. That's how you can tell. If you want to know whether you love the children of God, do you love God and you obey his commandments? Seems like kind of an odd measuring stick, right? Seems like if I love some, there'd be some different way to do it. But think about what he's saying in those things. Think about, think back to the Gospels. And the Gospel of Matthew, um, he's telling the story of this conversation. There's a Pharisee, and he's talking to um, Jesus. 
I actually don't know what chapter it is. I know it's verses 36 through 40. I forgot to write what chapters it was. If you're keeping track, somewhere in Matthew, he tells his story, trust me. Um, but the Pharisee asks Jesus a question, and he says this, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And so he does this. The, the Pharisee is trying to trick Jesus into saying something wrong. But he ties it to the commandment because there was some dispute about which was the greatest commandment. And so he's going to ask Jesus, what is the great commandment? And Jesus says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is the great and first commandment. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He continues. He says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. All of the law, all of the prophets, all of God's commandments can be summarized in that way. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. It is love God and love others. These are the commandments. They are set together. And so when he says, look, here's how you can tell. Do you love God? You obey his commandments. His commandments are summed up as love one another as yourself. We're going to listen to uh, Jackman once more. He says this. Um, he says, John now makes it plain that not only is obedience to God's command related to love as an evidence of faith, but is actually the way in which we love God. So that's that sentence where I said sometimes the commentaries are kind of, are kind of clunky. You know, and like this kind of a good example of it. That sentence is basically just saying, look, not only is it evidence of faith, but it's how you actually love God. So, we'll go on from there. We can so easily fall into the trap of opposing love to obedience. Because we love God, we truly want to please him. In our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. For us, it's no longer, it's no longer a matter of external, it's no longer an external matter of a moral duty in obeying the law. So much as it is a pleasing, a dearly loved father. That lies at the heart of our Christian discipleship. And the glory of the new covenant is precisely the inner love for God which promotes obedience. But if we are to judge our love purely at an emotional level, without any regard for the moral obedience which God's laws demands, we may well find ourselves excusing what is in fact disobedience because we still feel warmly towards God. Just because we don't feel self-condemned doesn't mean that God is smiling on us. Indeed, he cannot if we are plainly transgressing his commandments. However much we may protest that we love him or that we claim a special relationship with him, the God of love never indulges the sin of disobedience. And all sorts of moral disasters await those who try to separate clear-cut obedience to God's law from love for him. To profess love for God but to fail to obey his commandments is nonsense. It shows they were actually thinking that his commands are a bore, a chore, and a heavy load and what does that say in turn about our attitude towards God himself? John says his commandments are not burdensome. Jackman, for the last time, says his commandments are no more a burdensome than wings are to a bird. They are the means by which we live in freedom and fulfillment as God intended us to do so. Christ's commands are for our good. They are makers. They are the maker's instructions. They are perfectly designed to meet his creature's needs. Psalm 1911 says, In keeping them there is great rewards. So he will give us the strength to do what he has commanded. And love will make our sense of the burden light. Now we know 
we know that we can't keep God's commandments perfectly, right? We simply cannot do it. And even John has made this clear in the opening chapter of this, chapter 1, the eighth, by the 8th verse, he already says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess ourselves, sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, we know ourselves. We know that we cannot keep God's commandments perfectly. But we try to obey them. And we continue to try to obey them as much as we can. And when we fail to do so, we are grieved. We feel sorry. We feel bad for these things. And we go to God. And we confess to God. And we ask for his forgiveness. And this desire to become obedient to God, this desire to obey him, this desire to love God, to love others, to obey his commandment, it becomes who we are. It becomes our character. No, we're not perfect, but it's who we are. It's our character. We try to do this. We seek to do this. We strive to do this. And you know, you don't need to be a scholar to do this. You don't need to know the whole Bible. You don't need to be a mature Christian to do this. You need to love God and to love others. And John says, this is how you know that you are God's child. So we're going to look at the next, by this we know statement. John says this, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us. In the ESV version, which is the one that I was studying from, um, the word abide appears 36 times in the Bible, 36 times. Of those 36 times, 25 of them are in the writings of John whether it's in the Gospel of John or in these three letters, he uses um, 25 out of the 36 times. Clearly this word abide is important to John. And clearly he wants us to understand this. And so let's look at this. So we're going to go to John chapter 15 real quick. And you may be um, familiar with this, but he, in, this thing, in this passage he uses, this is Jesus talking, he uses this picture of this vine to show what the word abide is means, or we can see what the word abide means by this. And I'm going to just kind of take some of the verses out of there. Um, so starting in verse 1, he says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. The idea of abiding is the same idea as this vine and the branch. Without the vine, you can do nothing. Without the vine, it's a lifeless branch that's on the ground. But when it's abiding in the vine, there is life and there is fruit. And John tells us in verse 16, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Verse 12, he says, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. But we might question if we abide in him. We might think that we don't love enough. We don't think that we do a good enough job obeying his commandments. And so these things go through and they make us doubt. And John wants us to know for sure that we abide in him. 
verse 13, he says, By this we know that we abide in him and he is us. And he gives us this list of these things to look for. There are proofs that we abide in him and that he abides in us. The first thing he says is this. He has given us the Spirit. He has given us the Spirit. This is one of these passages that directly ties every member of the Trinity together. We see the Father. We see the Son. We see the Spirit. So uh, I'm just going to read verses 9, 10, and 13. It says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. By this we know that we abide in him and him in us because he has given us his Spirit. The Father has sent the Son and the Father has given us the Spirit. If you are a believer, you have the Spirit. And the Spirit himself lets you know that you are a child of God. Romans chapter 8, 16 and 17 says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. He goes on to, and next he says that we have the eyewitness testimony of the apostles. John was an apostle. In verse 14 he says, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. This testimony was written down. This testimony is the Bible. This, their testimony is our Bible. So this is the second thing. He says, We have this eyewitness. We have this Bible. Third, he says this, um, um, well, he tells us, he tells us, um, the third thing is our own belief and confession. So, it says this, whoever confesses, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Listen to that again. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. If you believe, if you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, that he was sent by the Father to be the one that pays for your sins, to be that Savior so that you might live through him. If you believe that God loves you, then God abides in you. And you abide in God. And God wants you to know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. God abides in you and you abide in God. Finally, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the results of this. What happens to us as we love God, as we love other, when God abides in us and we abide in God? Because John tells us that there's some things that are going to happen when we know God's love, when we love others, when we know that God abides in us. First, he says that God's love is perfected in us. God's love is perfected in us. Verse 12 says, If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. God's love spreads throughout, and God's love is worked out as we love others. 
Isn't that an amazing thing? This is one aspect of this, right? When we love others, we love with God's love. And in fact, it is God that's loving others through us. And this whole phrase, perfect, is perfected in us, means what? means it's not perfect. Otherwise, there would be no reason to say it's being perfected, right? But it means it's going an ongoing thing. And we love God more. And we love others more. Ultimately, it will be perfected. This is what this says. It is being perfected. Um, it's not going to be on this earth. But it's going to be afterwards. And we will see this love perfected at the day of judgment, at the day of Jesus Christ. We will see this love perfected in heaven. Because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. The next thing he says is that we will overcome the world. Verse 4 says, everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And we've seen this concept of overcome the world already. And next week's passage, we're going to look at it again. It's going to be part of that passage. So I'm only going to say this. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You will overcome the world. This is a guarantee. This is a promise. And John wants you to know this is what's going to happen. You will overcome the world. Not by your strength. Not by your might. Not by your discipline. Not by how well you know the Bible. Not by how good of a person you are. Not by how good of a Christian you are. Any of that stuff at all. You're going to overcome the world because you have been born of God. Because God loves you. Because Jesus died for you. Because the Spirit is within you. And he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And finally, the last thing, as a result of this, what will happen, is we will have confidence in the day of judgment. Confidence in the day of judgment. Starting in verse 17, he says this, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Nowhere fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. In this passage, when he's talking about fear and love, he's talking about the fear of judgment. He's talking about the fear of punishment. When did this first fear of punishment, fear of judgment, come into the Bible? Adam and Eve. Right? Adam and Eve sinned. And what did they do? They hid because they were afraid. They were afraid of punishment. They were afraid of God's judgment. And this has been with us since that day. And this carries through. But he's saying, look, on this day of judgment, well, actually, let me say this before I say that. On the day of judgment you will be judged. On the day of judgment, you'll be judged. That's the whole purpose of the day of judgment is to judge. When we look at our lives, when we look at ourselves, when we look at the stuff that we do, when we look at love for God, when we look at our love for others, when we um, look at obeying his commandments, when we look at all these things, where do we find ourselves, right? We find ourselves short. We find ourselves that we didn't do this. So there should be, in one sense, a natural fear of judgment. We have a natural fear um, just of like anything that's that. There's always that fear that you're in trouble. Wait till dad gets home. And then you're worried about that. Or you're going to the principal's office or whatever it is. There's this fear that just kind of comes in with us and it's hanging on here. But this fear in the day of judgment will be greater than all those other fears. And yet he's saying, 
you will be confident on that day. On that day that you should be most terrified, that you should be most frightened, that you should be most scared, he says you will be confident on that day. Here's the... Uh, Love is perfected with us, or love will be perfected in us, so that we have confidence for the day of judgment. We will not fear in that day, but we'll have confidence. Why will we have that confidence? Because God loves you. Because God sent his son to be the propitiation for your sins, to take the punishment that was due to you. That day of judgment is about punishment. And when um, God is not going to cast out the punishment, right? But that punishment has to go to someone and it goes to Jesus Christ. And so this is why you won't fear because your punishment goes to Jesus Christ. He sent the Son to be the propitiation of our sins and to take on this punishment that was due to us. So on that day when we should be the most afraid and the most terrified, we will be confident. Because God's love is perfected in us. Because God first loved us. Because God is love. Let me pray.